Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn over to the book of Acts chapter 3, the book of Acts chapter 3, and um, we'll begin there this morning. I, uh, I had shared Wednesday night, we are going through the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night, in a sermon series called Live It Up. And um, I had uh, shared with those on uh, Wednesday night that uh, last weekend was an interesting weekend. The air conditioning went out at our house. And uh, it was hot, y'all. It was in the 90s. And, uh, and so it was hot. And, of course, I don't sleep well when it's hot. I like it cold. It's got to be cold. My wife puts on 30 layers of, and blankets. And I'm like, what's all these blankets on the on the bed floor. It's like, it's hot. It's cold in here. I'm like, it's not cold in here. And, uh, but anybody else have that fight? Y'all looking at me like (laughs) hot, cold fight. And, uh, so anyway, but bless her heart. She's going through things. So, and, uh, uh, so she's a little hotter now than she usually is. And, uh, (laughs) if you know what I mean, (laughs) some of you know what I mean, (laughs) praise God. But, um, uh, our air conditioning was out, and so Saturday night and Sunday night, um, I did. You know, I was didn't sleep very well. I was in and out, and of course, I don't sleep a lot anyway. But um, the Lord woke me up a couple of times, uh, both Saturday night and Sunday night. And in the midst of waking me up, um, it was like the Lord gave me. I'm not one that has a lot of dreams or has a lot of visions. But the Lord woke me up with what I guess I would call like maybe flash visions. And um, the Lord woke me up. The first night he woke me up, the thing that was on my heart was that I had this flash vision of the burning bush and Moses standing before the burning bush. And uh, as I, you know, as I thought about that, I thought the the Lord began to speak to me and said, this is the fire of my um, commissioning. And I got in my spirit. I thought, man, that's, that's powerful. It just had, it was like it was real to me. And then I woke up in the morning and I had another one. And it was, it was the picture of Peter standing by the fire warming his hands when the damsel girl had confronted Peter about his association with Jesus and accused him of being one of Jesus' followers. And if you remember, Peter denied Jesus And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the fire of my testing. And I I thought, wow, that's interesting. What what an interesting... And then Sunday night, it happened again. And I woke up in the middle of the night. And the thing that came to me or was before me was the fire of Paul while he was on the island of Malta. And the snake came out of the fire and latched onto his hand and... um, um, and attached to Paul, and immediately the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the fire of adversity. And, uh, and so when I woke up th- that morning, a little a few hours later, again, um, I had this vision of Jesus and Peter on the shore after Peter had denied Jesus and had gone fishing, and Jesus showed up on the shore after the resurrection, if you all remember the story. And uh, Jesus called Peter and they were um, 
And Jesus began to speak to Peter and ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? And you all know Peter's response. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he asked him that three times. And then finally Jesus commissioned Peter to feed my sheep. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the fire, um, this is the fire um, of surrender. And so I've mauled over that this week. And it happened again Wednesday morning. Uh, I had a vision of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. And the Lord spoke to me, this is my fire of protection. And, um, and so I've, I've been asking God, I'm, I'm like, God, what, is, what do these mean? What, is, what are you showing me? And uh, I've never had anything really like that happen to me in my life in some sense. Uh, I've had encounters with God, but I've not had anything like that happen. And, um, um, and I know there are people who have had greater encounters. And, uh, you know, I, I hear guys, you know, Pastor Bob Rogers talks all the time about um, an angel that comes and visits him. And when he does, he comes at 3.33 in the morning. And uh, I've not had encounters with angels, or, or I may have, but <laughs> just not known it. And uh, you have too, probably, and not have known it, because the scripture tells us that there are times when we do entertain angels. But I've mulled over that this week. And then uh, as I was praying for service this weekend and this week and on Friday, the Lord spoke to me. And I kept asking God, what, is, what does that mean? What is that, you know, what, what is the meaning of that? Is, you know, not that there's any deep revelation to it, um, but the Lord uh, spoke to me and said that each one of these encounters, uh, the, God was taking people who were stuck and unstucking them with their encounter with God. That's what God was doing. He was taking those who had been stuck in a particular place, in a particular atmosphere or, or place in life, and through that encounter, God was unstucking them. He was, he was, he was all of a sudden, uh, where they had been planted and stuck and unable, where there was a loss of mobility or a loss of future, a sense of future, he was unstucking them and moving them forward into what God had for them. And, and that just spoke to me. I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be unstuck in my life. I don't ever want to be stuck. I don't ever want to be at a place where there's no mobility in my life, where there's no moving forward in my life. And the Lord began to speak to me that sometimes churches can get stuck. People can get stuck. And sometimes it's an encounter that unstucks people. And so this morning, I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about being unstuck this morning. Have you ever felt stuck? You ever felt like you were in a rut or felt like you was in a place and there seemed to be just lack of moving forward in your life or a lack of, of, of moving out of something? You were in a particular season and you felt, man, this has gone on too long. It's time to move out of this thing. Have you ever been there? Or is that just me this morning? There was a man named Antonio. Almost, he almost got stuck, and music would have, been, would have suffered even unto this day had he did. He loved music, but he couldn't play or sing. Antonio, he felt helpless. He couldn't sing, he couldn't play, but he loved music so much. A friend came to him and said to him, and said, Antonio, you can't sing, but there are other ways that you can make music. 
And uh, his friend said to him, he said, what matters is the song in your heart. He looked at Antonio and he said to him, he said, you will build better than you can sing or play. You can build the music. You may not be able to sing and play music, but you can build music. And so that's all Antonio needed to hear that day. A faithful friend, an honest friend, that moved him from being stuck. Well, this Antonio started making violins. And uh, his name was Antonio Stradivarius. And if you know who Antonio Stradivarius is, he makes the greatest violins in all of the world. Matter of fact, today, one of his violins go for an average of $16 million on the marketplace. That's a lot of money, y'all. They say that there's probably 600 violins that are still out there, but there's a record of 244 of those violins that we know where they are and who owns them that are currently accounted for. Now, could you imagine if Antonio got stuck in thinking, I'm a singer, I'm a musician, and never moved out of that place? But thank God that he became a builder of violins instead of a singer, of singing. Clayton Christensen in his book, the, innovator, the Innovator's Dilemma, he says the most successful companies in America and in the world, he said 90% of them ultimately are doing something different than what they started with. In other words, 90% of the most successful companies in the world are doing something different than what they had started with as a company. I was reading again this week and came across an old book that I have. Some of you may uh, be reminded of it. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade by uh, David Wilkerson. I have an old copy. And, uh, and so um, thumbing through it, I came through the, uh, thumbing through it, I came through the testimony of David Wilkerson and how he came to New York City. In 1956, he was reading the Time Magazine article about seven gang members that had brutally beat a handicapped uh, boy in Central Park, and they were going on trial. David Wilkerson was so moved by the article of these boys getting ready to go on trial, he felt the Spirit of the Lord lead him to New York City and go to that courtroom and begin to try to minister to these seven gang members that had uh, tried to um, commit this crime. And so he felt the leading of the Holy Spirit. But when he, when he came, uh, for those gang members, of course, God had a different plan for him. There was a different gang that he connected with. And a person in mind, not seven gang members, but a person. And thank God he did. Thank God he didn't get stuck on the mindset that I'm just coming here for these seven. And God led him to be introduced to a gang called the Mau Maus, who was led by a guy by the name of Nicky Cruz, who he led to the Lord. 
Crossing a Switchblade is about the story of, of Nikki Cruz and David Wilkerson's journey beginning in New York City. And a few years later, he started Times Square Church, which is in the middle of Times Square there in um, New York City, where my friend Tim Delina pastors there now. Out of that came Teen Challenge. He opened the Teen Challenge Center there in New York, and it began to spread all across the world. And now Teen Challenges are almost in every major city in America. But it was because someone refused to get stuck and refused to do something. But thank God for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may not know, know who he is, but Bobby Greenwall, his story, you may not know him, but you will know his device. Uh, he was the creator of the Bible app, Version. How many of you have Version on your, on your phone or on your app? You may be following along this morning. He had a half a million downloads um, around the world. He had started when he created this program. It was for laptops and desktops. And uh, they came to him and said, you know, you're going to need to create an app for cell phones because that is where people are going to be watching and that is what people are going to be using. He wanted to put the Bible in everyone's hands that could, that could read. They could read from their desktop, their laptop. And, uh, but he kind of resisted at first and he said, no, it won't be that big a deal on cell phones. And finally he gave in. And now over half a billion downloads uh, are now on cell phones and people are looking at their phones, opening the Bible and reading the Word of God. And so these are folks who refuse to be stuck. They refuse to be stuck and they refuse to uh, remain in a place where they were just going to let things be as they are, but would not allow to be stuck in a mindset are stuck in a place of, of obstacle, but they decided that they would allow God to move them forward from where they are and where they are in life. And so I want to talk and preach this morning about not letting yourself get stuck spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Because the truth is, you can get stuck in spiritual things, in a spiritual place in your life where there's no spiritual growth going on, there's no spiritual movement, you don't see God doing much of anything, you could be stale, you, your relationship with God can be at this place of where it's stale, but I'm here to tell you, God wants us moving forward this morning. He does not want us stuck spiritually, He does not want us stuck emotionally, and He does not want us mentally stuck. So, but that's not just for an individual person. That's also for a church. I can tell you churches can get stuck. When churches get stuck, they begin to die. You hearing me this morning? When churches get stuck, they begin to die. They'll begin to die because there's no forward movement that's going on or taking place in lives. Pope Innocent II had walked into one of the business rooms of the church and on the table was thousands and thousands of dollars that was being counted by his assistant, Aquinas. 
And he had said to Aquinas, he said, my friend, no longer can it be said that silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas turned to the Pope and he said, Father, with all due respect, we may be able to say the church no longer can say silver and gold have I none. But now the church can say, has not been able to say, rise and walk. And so I want to show you someone in scripture this morning who was stuck, a middle-aged man who received a miracle. Now, you said middle age. Well, the scripture tells us that he was 40. I don't know if that's middle age or not. And uh, I don't know what McDonald's says, middle age is 55. And so in a year, I can get a coffee for 15 cents or whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm 54, so I'm, I'm McDonald's coffee eligible here, here real soon. I get a senior citizen's price in a year, praise God. And uh, not that I'll use it, but... Um, Anyway, I'll get that price. But I guess you could say I'm approaching middle age. I'm getting there. They say you know, you know, you know you're in middle age when everything is in the middle. <laughs> That's how you know you're in the middle of middle age. Everything is in the middle. But psychologists say this. There are two things that happen in people as they get later in life. One is they become insecure in the fact of growing older. They become insecure. They're, they have a fear of crossing into an older age. And so in that insecurity, sometimes they try to revert back and do things that make them look younger. I remember, Debbie's here this morning, and, the, and it's good to see you, Debbie. Um, I remember me and your dad your mom let me drive her BMW convertible one day to Clarksville. And, uh, and I was like, yes, I want to drive a BMW convertible. And uh, she had a blue one. And Ron with, went with me. And uh, as we were driving, Ron looked over and said, it just makes you feel 20 years younger, doesn't it? <laughs> and I said, yes, it does. But sometimes we... we we get older, we try to revert because of insecurity. We try to revert back to uh, making ourselves younger again. The second thing that happens is we become stuck in our ways and in our mindsets. Have you noticed as you got older, you become more predictable in your, in your, uh, in your, act, your daily activity? You become stuck in the in, in kind of the familiar of your life, and you repeat things and do things over. I had a grandfather that had, uh, he was so predictable that everything he did was by the time of the day. He woke up the same time every morning. He ate breakfast the same time every morning. He did everything by the time of the day. He uh, worked a second shift. He worked for the same company for 50-something years, and he, that's the way he he wanted everything in place. He had, he had a time for everything. Nothing was out of order. His shoes were always shined. His shirts were always crisp. He, uh, he would fold his news. He would read the newspaper and fold it back up just like he got it. Roll it back up and put the rubber band back on it. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. But he was set in his ways. 
He was set in his ways. He was, he, was, uh, he was a miser when it came to money. He saved everything. I mean, he saved everything. Coins, jars, I mean, everything. And if you messed his routine up, you were in trouble, buddy. Because if you, had, if you messed up the routine of his day, you were just in trouble. Now, he grew up in the Depression, and so everything... Um, he would take me and my little brother, we would, he would take us to uh, like a department store and he'd give us money. And he'd say, don't go buy no toy with that money. Go buy yourself something to eat. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, he just, he just thought that buying toys and stuff were just foolishness, that you needed to get something that had value. And so he was just stuck in his ways. He was just, he was just you know, he was in that place. And you couldn't move him from that. You couldn't move him from that if you tried. A bomb couldn't do it. He was just stuck there. And there are those of us who don't move or change, and, and, and we don't allow the Lord to move us from where we are spiritually. We become stuck where we are spiritually because we've learned to walk in the routine that we've learned spiritually in God. We come to church at the same time. We know what nights. We, 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 we know spiritually what we're to do, and we, and we kind of are faithful to that, and that is our routine, and we become stuck there. And there are those of us who don't move or change because, because to do that means there's an upheaval in our lives because a lot of us don't do very well with change in our life. We don't like change. Sometimes we don't like change. Now, there are a few of you all that, you know, you're, you're everywhere, so change is no big deal to you. But, but to a lot of people, change is very difficult. But there's one way you get stuck. You get stuck by, by remaining in mind place and mindsets and settling for things. And sometimes it's hard for God to move you forward because we get so stuck because we've done it like that for years, that God has a hard time moving us into new things and better things. Churches are like that. Churches can get stuck. Churches can get stuck in patterns and places. And what happens is, if you don't move or if you don't change, what happens in a church is we begin to lose our voice to the next generation. It's what happens. Now, I have a favorite life verse. It's Psalms 126, verse 5 and 6. That's my life verse. It says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtlessly come again with rejoicing, bringing him sheaves, his sheaves with him. Now, there's a reason I chose that verse. I chose that verse because it's a moving verse. It is a life verse that when I pray it and when I say it, it doesn't allow me to remain in a particular place. It's always challenging me to move forward in something. I have a second life verse, in case you're wondering. 71, Psalm 71, 17. It says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. To this day, present day. Verse 18. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, 
Do not forsake me until I have declared your strength to this generation and power and your power to everyone who is to come. In the book of Acts, there's a story of a man who got unstuck, who had lost his movement and was sitting in front of the church. The scripture says he was 40 years old and he lost his movement. He was stuck in front of the church. He lost his voice. He had, he had one saying that he said time and time again, the repetitiveness of the same thing he did every day. He sat outside the temple and he begged every day. He begged for a dollar every day. Every day he sat outside the temple and he begged and begged. He was in this routine. He was stuck in this routine. The Bible says that he had been lame from his birth. He was 40 years old and he sat there every day begging. And the only thing, the only voice, he had lost his voice. The only thing he said was, do you have a dollar? Do you have alms? Do you have a coin? We see this in Acts chapter 3. If you'll turn there with me, Acts chapter 3. I want us to see a couple of things this morning. And uh, in Acts chapter 3, Acts 4 tells us what age this man was. Acts 4.22 tells us he was 40 years old. See, if we become stuck as a church, we will lose our voice to the next generation. We will either... We're either going to be a voice to them, we'll either lose our voice to them, and when we, if we lose our voice in speaking to the next generation, what happens is instead of, instead of speaking of the wonders of God, instead of speaking and declaring the strength of God, we'll begin to be critical of the next generation. When churches get stuck, they become critical of generations that follow them. Y'all with me this morning? Y'all ever heard it? I heard it. When I was in my 20s and going to church, I heard it. Why they got to like that contemporary music? Why they got dressed like that? Why they got to look like that? And what happens is when people get stuck, they get critical. When they get stuck, they become critical of the next generation they become critical of everything that is happening before them. I just want to declare this morning as a church, we're not going to be like the lame man that laid at the gate beautiful who was repetitive in all that he did. And we're not going to be a church that's critical. We're not going to be a church that gets stuck and not have a voice into the heart of the next generation. Instead of speaking we will speak the wondrous works of God and declare His strength. You know what that means, wondrous works? It means His divine, the working of His divine hand. That's what David said. David said that I may be able to speak the wondrous works of the Lord. You know what that is? That's the speaking of God's divine hand. One of the shouts, one of the voices that should be coming from our congregation is always talking about the, the wondrous works of God that he does in our midst. The working of his divine hand in our lives. 
declaring his wondrous works. And then David said that I may continue to declare the Lord's strength in my life. Strength means his bearing up, his sustaining, his upholding, his keeping from falling. How many are thankful the Lord has kept you, that he keeps you? How many are thankful God, God keeps us and holds us and bears us up? And the testimony of this church should always be declaring the wondrous works that God has done and always declaring and thanking God for the strength that he has shown in our lives by bearing us up and keeping us from falling. That's a great testimony this morning. That's what you need. That's how you get unstuck this morning is that you continue to declare the wondrous works of God and continue to declare that he is your strength this morning. He is our strength this morning. Hallelujah. Let's talk about this story. One thing I'm glad that Acts 3 comes after Acts follows Acts 2. And I know that's not profound, but it's important. Because, you know why? Because God would not let the church get stuck in the upper room. <laughs> Acts 3 is important to follow Acts 2 because God would not let the church get stuck in another meeting, but would draw them out down the steps to the gate beautiful of the temple where there laid a lame man who needed what happened in the upper room. You hear what I'm saying? Thank God. Listen, you know how God unstucks us? He unstucks us by what he takes, what he does in here, and allows us to leave here and go out there and give to them what he has done in here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. He wouldn't let the church get stuck in an upper room and just say, well, we're just having meetings. We're just, we're just going to have meetings. I'm telling you, in this hour, God is doing something. I'm telling you, just regular meetings are not going to do it anymore. He's shifting the church, and the church is going to get unstuck. We can't just rely on... How many of y'all remember years ago that you had a revival in the, in the spring, and you had a revival in the fall? You had your evangelist come in, and he came in for five days, and everybody in the church would come, and, and you know, you had... Two, you know, you had two weeks of revival a year, and and you know, and now everybody gets hyped up on meetings and going and hear their favorite speakers and hearing. Uh, listen, all that's good. I go to all the meetings I can. It helps me, but I'm here to tell you it's time for God to stop to start taking what's happening in meetings and moving it into the streets so that lame men can walk again and people can become unstuck in their life. It's just time to do that. It's time for that transition in the church. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, we see this being played out. The Bible tells us, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man laid from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid there daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And so 
These disciples had taken what had happened in the upper room down into their daily schedule and on the street level. They began to, they began to take what, it, what they experienced in the upper room and brought it down to a man that had laid there for many, many years. The great pastor G. Campbell Morgan, he said this, if you cannot be a Christian where you are, you cannot be a Christian anywhere. It's not a place, it's grace. You hear what I'm saying? Being a Christian is not being a Christian in a place. My identity doesn't come when I'm in here. My identity is in Christ all the time, every day, all day. Every morning, every evening, every afternoon. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not identified by a place. It's identified by the grace of God that is in my life. Understand grace, not place. We wouldn't, we wouldn't get, if we understood that, we wouldn't get stuck in a place and in a building. And people limit God by the building. They limit God by the place. They limit God by a particular uh, system or religious system. That's how they identify God. God's bigger than that this morning. God is bigger than that. His redemptive work in your life, the grace that God brought into your life, is not just that you could feel God in this building. It's so that you can feel God on your job. You can feel God in your home. You can feel God at your work. Everywhere you go, you can feel God because it's the grace of God that has done the redemptive work in your life. So we have two unstuck men, Peter and John. We're about to speak with a man who hasn't moved in 40 years. And I believe God wants to speak to us personally. I believe he wants to speak to us as a church. I got to thinking, you know, as we approach 10 years as a church, we need to make sure that we have movement where the spirit wants to lead us to go. We need to, as a church, we need to make sure that we hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to us and that there's movement that's going on in this body. That after 10 years, we're not going to be a church that's stuck, that gets stuck in the way, just the religious system of just doing church, but that there's movement that moves in our lives and be led wherever the Spirit leads us. But what did, what did Peter and John see? What's in this story for us? Number one is this. There was life without liberty. When Peter and John looked at this man, they saw there was life, but though there was life, there was no liberty. The man had legs, but he had no movement. He had, he had mechanism, but no power in the mechanism. He was 40 years old, living near the church, but couldn't go forward. See, this is not just a physical it can be spiritual. It can be, it, can be, it can be mental. We get stuck. This is a dangerous thing for a Christian unwilling to move but be at the church doors. To have life but no liberty. It appears as we get older, as the church gets older, the man at the temple every day
Being stuck is a challenge of losing our mobility in life and spiritually and mentally. Even the desire to move. And what happens over the years, sometimes we get stuck and though we have life, we have Christ, but we don't have liberty. There are people that have Jesus, but they don't have freedom in their life. They don't have liberty in their life. They, 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 have, they have life, but there's no mobility. They're not moving toward anything. They're not, they're, not, they're not stepping out in faith to do anything for God. The only, you know, the only comfortability, they're, they're fine with the comfortability of their blessed assurance being on a seat in Sunday morning, but there's no movement toward anywhere. There's life, but there's no liberty. Churches can have life, but not liberty. We can preach Jesus, but if there's people here that are not free, then we don't have liberty in this place. A church that's unstuck is a church that has liberty, that has freedom, that has the spontaneity of worshiping God, the freedom to worship God, the liberty to worship God, and not be stuck. I say all the time, this church has never reached its worship potential yet. Because every Sunday, can I preach a minute? I'm just going to tell y'all. If you get mad, call me and we'll work it out. But listen, here's the deal. This church has not yet reached its worship potential. Because I believe there are many of you who have held back. You hold back in worship. You hold back in your singing. You hold back in your liberty. There's liberty, but there's not really true freedom. And true freedom comes when we understand that God, Jesus, has paid the price for us to be free this morning. You have the right to be free in Christ Jesus this morning. You have a right to shout. You have a right to pray. You have a right to sing. You have, matter of fact, you have a right to dance in this church. You have a right to be, have liberty in this place. Well, pastor, I don't want people to get too out of control. Well, what's the option? Dead? <laughs> Dead, cold? Are y'all with me? Have y'all have, have been in some dead? I've, I've been in some dead churches. Just a few weeks ago, I was in a dead church. I wanted to get up and shout hallelujah just to scare the heck out of everybody. Just so that something could shake for a minute. <laughs> it reminds me of when I first got saved, Joe. And uh, I wasn't raised in church. I went to church with my grandmother. That was my point of reference. I wasn't raised in church. But uh, after I got saved, I went back to a, a, a church a friend of mine had gone to. And it was a, uh, it was a Methodist church. And I had been used to going to church. I had been going to a Pentecostal holiness church. How many of y'all know that's a different environment than the Methodist church? And so, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was different. And so, having never really been in a Methodist church, I know we have some method, method people here, Methodist church people here. Some of you are, I know Tom and Diane are Methodist, right? Or was. And... Uh, and so if you've ever been in a Methodist church, it's very orthodox, you know, 
and very, uh, they have readings and responses and all of that going on. And I'm telling you, I was in this Methodist church and this preacher got on this reading and, and out, of the, out of one of the Methodist books, you, you, there's a reading, then you respond and all that. And he got on this reading and it was talking about the cross and the blood and redemption. And it was talking about, I mean, all of a sudden, Tom, something in me just started stirring. And I was like, this is good. This is, why isn't anybody recognizing this is good? And I couldn't hold it any longer, Adam. I said, praise God. <laughs> I thought the lady in front of me, I thought her teeth was going to hit, hit, fly and hit the altar. It was spontaneous. It was just come out of, it wasn't anything that was done. It was just, it just came out of the joy of being saved. Does anybody enjoy their salvation this morning? Does anybody enjoy their salvation? Some of y'all need to tell your face, your heart needs to tell your face, you got saved. We should enjoy our salvation this morning because we have been set free in Christ Jesus. In other words, this man had life, but he did not have any liberty. He did not have any mobility. And it's interesting. The man was at the temple every day. He was there. He had no mobility, but he was carried there every day. The Spirit of God sometimes carries us into brand new seasons. I read a story this week of, it was kind of a devotional. It was a man who graduated from seminary, graduated with his Master's of Divinity. He did his seven or eight years of school studying theology and learning, and he, was, he loved to preach. He could speak the New Testament in Greek, like Dr. Sean. He could probably read the New Testament in Greek. And all he wanted to do was preach. All he wanted to do was preach. And he talked about the first church that he went to. He has this master's in divinity. He has studied. He has he uh, to exegete the word of God. All he wanted to do was preach. And the first church he got hired at put him in charge of the volunteer schedule of children's church. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what they, that's what they, I mean, that's what his job was. And to make sure that the youth ministry department was running correctly. And so after a while, he got really discouraged. He said, I'm managing instead of preaching. It's not what I'm supposed to do. He's like, I'm supposed to be exegeting passages, not making sure there's enough workers in the children's ministry. He was grumbling to a friend. This is not what I'm supposed to do. I don't do children. I don't do youth. I do preaching. That's what he told his friend. His friend looked at him and said, you know, you know the world's a better place because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. He said, the world's a better place because Martin Luther said, I don't do doors. The world's a better place because John Wesley said, I only do pulpits, I don't do open air. 
See, in the Bible is full of men and women who had servants' hearts and servants' minds who wouldn't just be stuck in a mindset and say that, God, I'm only going to serve you if you you do what I want to do, not what you have asked me to do or called me to do. I began to think about that in the Bible, and I thought, praise God Moses didn't say, I don't do oceans. Praise God Noah didn't say, I don't do arks. Joshua said, I didn't do walls. David said, I don't do giants. Paul said, I don't do letters. And thank God Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. Hallelujah. Anywhere he goes, he had to be carried there. He had to be carried everywhere he went. He goes nowhere on his own. That is a scary thing. He wasn't dealing with it just physically. But if we have to deal with it spiritually, it becomes dangerous. If we have to convince people or coerce people or carry people that are stuck and unwilling to move. When a church gets stuck, all of a sudden now they have to be coerced. They have to be begged. They have to be... They have to be convinced. They have to be all, all of a sudden now. We have a church that's stuck and won't move, and they have to be carried everywhere. They have to be, they have to be begged to do everything. I don't do kids. I don't do junior high boys. Thank you, Scott, for doing junior high boys. I'm glad you didn't say I don't do young boys. I say all that to say this. When a church begins to get stuck, it begins to lose its influence into the next generation. And they were the ones that began to suffer because people refused to move in order to impact their life and to do for them. And so we don't want to be stuck this morning. You don't want to be stuck this morning. Some of you may be stuck in life. You may be stuck spiritually. You may feel like you're stuck spiritually. And I thought about this. If anything, they could depend on this man. He was at his post every morning. He was familiar with the temple. He knew the names of the people that were going in and out. Right? His one job was just to beg. But he was stuck. He was stuck physically. But it was more than that. He was stuck spiritually. He was stuck mentally. He was stuck in that same place mentally. I, I, as I thought about this, I thought, that's a dangerous place. I mean, we see people get stuck all the time. Just in watching the Olympics, if you watched the Olympics, you saw that one of the greatest gymnasts in all the world, Simone Bile, she, she, she dropped out of the competition, not because she had a physical ailment or was hurt, but because she got stuck mentally. She got stuck mentally and it paralyzed her and she could not perform. And many of us get stuck in life. We get stuck in a rut. We get stuck where we are and we're stuck there and we can't move forward. We're paralyzed by life. Elijah got stuck and was stuck in a cave in depression. He was in depression. He was in a cave 
He was stuck. And the thing is, had he quit and given up, he would have lost the opportunity to speak into the next generation, which was Elisha and the schools of the prophets. Let me just tell you this this morning. The opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose. That's the opposite of depression. Elijah got stuck. He had to rest and had to get food. But, it, but the primary thing that brought him out of being stuck was the fact that God gave him an assignment. He got unstuck because he lived for something that was greater than himself. You want to get unstuck this morning spiritually? Start serving someplace. Start serving somebody. And it'll pull you out of that being stuck spiritually. There will be a joy that comes in your life. There will be a joy that overrides you. You're stuck because you don't see what's ahead. I need you to be a voice to the next generation. God was saying to Elijah, there's a young prophet named Elisha who is in a field plowing right now with oxen. I, I thought of this man before, and I thought to myself, this is not the first time the apostles walked by this man. Why wasn't he healed before? Then I got to thinking, I thought, there is no doubt Jesus walked by this man many times. Many times Jesus even walked by this man. The scripture never tells us that. But the fact is, is that that entrance of the temple was something that Jesus commonly would do. And I thought to myself, as I thought about Jesus walking and walking by this man and this man still there and crying out alms and alms, did Jesus just ignore him? Was he ever on Jesus' mind? And I thought to myself, man, here, here he's begging and he's lame and he's crying out. He must have known who Jesus was after a while. And here the disciples had passed him many times. But the truth is, he had life, but he didn't have liberty. And some of you are here this morning. You have life, but you don't have liberty. You don't have freedom. You're stuck. You're stuck in routine. You're stuck in religious routine. And there's no fire in your belly. I'm telling you that those visions that I had had nothing to do with just fire in itself. But God was speaking to me that there are people that are stuck, that he wants to unstuck. He wants to create a freedom in this place and in your life that rivals none other. And I believe in God that it's going to happen, that it's going to happen in our lives. Number two, I know I got I to gotta hurry. Lame, lame legs needed eyes to see in order for legs to walk. Lame legs needed eyes to see in order for legs to walk. I love this. I've read this many times, and sometimes, and sometimes we, we overlook it. I've overlooked it many times. 
But as I studied this and read this, something just slapped me right in the face, Joe. It was just like getting slapped in the face with a with whatever. <laughs> but it hit me. You ever happened to you? Look at, verse, look at verse 4. And fixing his eyes on them. Peter, and remember, Peter and John came to, about, came to him. He was asking for alms and fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us. The man laid there and Peter and John comes up to him. He's laying there and they say, look at us. Look at us. This command, this authoritative command to look at us, just look at us. I thought to myself, Lord, why these words? Why these words? And it was, it was almost like they came up to this man, and when they came up, it was like he was distracted by their presence. You ever gone up to somebody to talk to somebody, and, they're, and you know they're looking at something else, or they're, they're distracted by something else that's happening in the room? And you have, I, I, I've had to do that. You ever had to do that with your kids? They look like they're in a fog and you got to wake them up out of the fog. You walk up to talk to them and they're looking somewhere else. You're like, hey, 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 right here. Hey, <laughs> come out of it. <laughs> and it's like they don't want to look at you in the eye or they don't want to, you know, it's like, hey, right here. Look at us. He said, look at us. And I thought, why these words? Why, was, why were they using these words? I believe they used those words. It wasn't just to grab the man who was lame's attention. I think they were saying, hey, hey. I think they were saying, testimony. Look at us. Look at me. Look at John. Look at Peter. Look at us. Look at us. If he can do it for us, he can do it for you. Y'all hear what I'm saying this morning? It was a testimony. Look at us. Look at this. Look what Jesus did from, I was a denier. Uh, we were fishermen. Look at us. Look at us. Look what God's did in our lives. Look what he's did in, and what he's did in us, he can do in you. You can't convince me of anything different that that's what the power of their testimony, that their lives had been touched by God. See, the first step to people being unstuck is that people can see what God has done in you and in me. And our message should be at the church, it should be just like that. When we walk into a lost world, we should say, hey, hey, look at us. Look what I was, and now what Jesus has done. Look at us. Look at the miracle he has done in our life. Think of the testimonies in this room. How many of you could stand up this morning and look at someone lost and say, hey, look at us. We're where you were. We're where you are today. You're stuck, but he unstuck us through his power and through his grace this morning. Does anybody have that testimony this morning? Look at us. 
How many know people will watch your life before they'll listen to your words? Before rise and walk, there always has to be look at us. Before we can ask people to be unstuck out of, out of their condition of being lost or the condition of where they are, we have to first say, look at us. Look what God has done. Look at us. God has healed me. I'm no longer a heroin addict. Look at us. I'm no longer an adulterer. Look at us. I'm no longer broken. I'm no longer depressed. I'm no longer sick. Look at us. I'm no longer demon possessed. <laughs> there are some out there, folks. <laughs> I love what the evangelist Gypsy Smith said. Isn't that a wonderful name for an evangelist? Gypsy Smith said this. He said, there are five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. But most people don't read the first four. Truth is, people look at us first. See, lamps can't talk, but they shine. Right? Nursery workers said they walked into the nursery work, in the nursery, and there was a little boy and a little girl in the nursery and they were yelling at each other, just yelling. And the nursery worker said, what are you two quarreling about? They said, we're not quarreling, we're just playing mom and dad. <laughs> but that's what they see, so that's what they do. <laughs> I love this poem that I read this week. We're the only Bible the careless world will read. We're the sinner's gospel. We are, scoff, we are the scoffer's creed. We are the, Lord's, we are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the type is blurred? I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be blurred. I want to be able to say, look at us. Acts 4 tells us that 5,000 people got saved that day. The Bible said what was amazing is what happened after the man started moving. The Bible says that he got strength in his legs. I mean, think about this scene for a moment. The guy never walked in his life. And they grab him by the hand and they begin to lift him up. And as they lift him up, strength got back in his legs. And he began to walk and he began to realize he could walk. And then as he was walking, he realized he had more mobility and he could, he could jump. And then he started leaping, the scripture says. And the Bible said that he went into the temple and he began to leap and disrupt everything that was going on in the temple. <laughs> He disrupted the prayer. He disrupted all of the religious things that were going on. He began to leap. He began to dance. And because of that, we saw 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. But then Peter and John began to speak and 5,000 began to get saved. Why? Because changed people will change people. Changed people will change people. Changed people silence critics. 
You hear what I'm saying? Change people were silenced critics. People say, oh, you know, y'all serving that fantasy God. No, I'm telling you, it's not a fantasy God that set me free. It's not a fantasy God that I've seen heal. It's not a fantasy God that I've seen restore. It's not a fantasy God that I've seen do miracles in people's lives. But when I look out here and I see your testimony and your testimony and your, I mean, it silenced the critics. Why? Because a man with an argument is never at the mercy with a man who's had an experience. You can argue with me all you want. <laughs> you can argue. You, you Just argue. Go ahead. Get it out. But I'm here to tell you that I stand here this morning not in myself, but by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that has given you life this morning. Come on, he's made you leap. He's given you joy this morning. And some of you are stuck, and the Holy Ghost needs to unstuck you this morning. You got life, but you don't have liberty. You got legs, but you need eyes to see. Come on, God's giving some of y'all some sight this morning. Whoo, feels good. <laughs> see, when there's, no result, when there's no results in our life, we resort to rhetoric. Y'all know that? The church doesn't, when the church doesn't see, see people born again, when the church doesn't see people, there's no, there's no movement. We don't see people from being unstuck, from stuck to unstuck. In other words, we rely on rhetoric. You know what rhetoric is? The church is good at rhetoric. Rhetoric is the persuasion. It's the art of persuasion to motivate. That's what rhetoric is. That's what most churches are today. They're rhetoric. Because people aren't being saved. People are not being changed. People are not being unstuck. And so there's no, there's no, when there's not changed people, then changed people, then there's no people who get changed. We become stuck. We become stuck where we are. Disciples said, look at us. The man started moving. He began leaping. And 5,000 looked at him and believed. I don't believe it was the words of Peter and John. I believe it was the testimony. You know why? Because I got, the, I got this picture. If I could make a movie, this is how I'd have that movie, Joe. I'd have that guy leaping through the courtyard and just leaping and leaping and going by and going, hey, John, hey, Joe. He knew everybody. Why? Because he had laid there for so many years. So many people saw his, his, his immobility. They saw his handicap. They saw his begging. They had pity on him. They probably said, oh, poor him. If he could only come and worship like us. All of a sudden now he's leaping through the temple. <laughs> Y'all imagine the miracle that was? Huh? Imagine a miracle if some of you got free this morning. How it would impact your family. How would it impact 
your husband or your wife or your life, if you just said, I refuse to be stuck. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Close with this this morning. He was supposed to be leaping and praising, not sitting and begging. Hallelujah. The only way to make a change in being stuck is you have to begin to implement and bring the name of Jesus into your situation. Verse 6 and 7 says this, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but that I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You want to be unstuck? You got to bring the name of Jesus into your situation. You got to bring the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus was brought into this man's loss of his mobility. Life without liberty. Looking at people that had means to give to him, but not people that had the ability to bring a change to his life. I don't know how people can preach a sermon without Jesus. Not speak of Jesus. How many know he's the main subject this morning? I said he's the main subject this morning. You want freedom? You got to bring the name of Jesus into your situation. There's no self help. There's no videos. Y'all hear me? There's no workout, right? There's no magic potion you can drink. (laughs) You have to bring Jesus into your situation. You want to be unstuck? You got to bring the name of Jesus into the middle of where you are this morning. In the middle of what you're going through. In the middle of where you are. And it's kind of like the Bible said that when this man began to leap and dance through the temple, people looked upon him with wonder and amazement. I think the people that looked on on him with wonder and amazement was part of the 5,000 that gave their life to Jesus. (laughs) And I I, I thought that, here's here's Peter and John, they're holding this guy, and he's leaping, and he's dancing, and it kind of reminded me of my son Austin. I could never hold that kid's hand. He was always twirling. He was kicking something. He He was flipping over, walking up my thigh and flipping back over, and, you know, Swinging his arm and hitting me and, you know, jumping up and down. I'd say, hey, 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 sit still. <laughs> well, you couldn't keep him still. He was like a ba- bouncing jack in the box. And, he, and we didn't give him sugar. Could you imagine that kid on sugar? <laughs> but why? Because there was life in him. Something, I mean, there's just... That's the way kids are. There's just life in them. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Adam, if you come, I want to close with this this morning. In the late 15th century, there was a sculptor in Italy. His name was August, Augustino D'Antonio. 
He went to work on a huge block of marble to create a spectacular sculpture. After a few attempts of trying to do something with this huge piece of marble, he gave up. He said, there's just nothing there. Other sculptors tried to do the same thing. And after not being able to do anything with it, they took the piece of marble and they threw it into a scrapyard. Huge piece of marble. It sat there for 40 years in that scrapyard. Until one day, a man walked by by the name of Michelangelo. And he took that big, huge piece of marble and he began to see something that no one else saw. He saw beyond the disfiguring of the block and the, the, the failed attempts of before. He saw beyond its frailties and, and beyond its lack of purpose. And he began to sculpt. And what Michelangelo, the results of that was a masterpiece known today as the Statue of David, which now sits, I believe, in, in the Vatican, which became one of the most outstanding artistic pieces ever made in modern time. I'm here to tell you, you may feel stuck this morning but God is looking at you and you may feel that I'm just nothing. Just I'm just a block. <laughs> Maybe you feel like what my dad used to call me. He used to call me blockhead. <laughs> Maybe you may feel that way this morning, but I'm telling you, God looks at you and he says, there's a treasure in there that I want to brain out. He'll be the one to unstuck you this morning. He'll be the one to unrelease you this morning and do something with your life that you thought could never be done. Everybody else has cast you out and thrown you away. You know why? Because God doesn't have to listen to the opinions of others and to the conclusions that others have come to about you and about your life. Listen to me this morning. There are people who have come to conclusions about you, have voiced those, those, those things about you. Can I tell you God doesn't operate under that? God is not, God is not held back by what others have said or what others think of you, or have thought of you, or have said you are, or said you're not. I'm here to tell you, you will be what God says you will be. That's what you'll be this morning. We get stuck. We get stuck. I love what happened. Whew. I love this. <laughs> So this man gets healed and all of a sudden Peter and John are brought before the religious folks and they're told 
Do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter and John said, okay. (laughs) No, that's not what they said. (laughs) I love what they said. They said, we but can't help but speak of his name. One of my favorite preachers when I first got saved was an old black country preacher by the name of E.V. Hill. Anybody ever heard E.V. Hill preach? He was on, he'd come on Sunday nights on Christian television. And uh, I would watch Jack Hafer on. I'd watch him. And then I'd watch the guy that was in Orlando, Florida, uh, James Kennedy. I watched Kennedy. And then Evie Hill would come on. And I remember him preaching a sermon on this subject one time. And uh, Evie Hill pastored a church in Los Angeles, California in the 80s and 90s. And uh, he had a sermon one time. It was called, In Jesus' Name. And he was talking about the subject, about the disciples being Commissioned or being challenged not to speak in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he said, He said, You know what I would say? Evie Hill, he'd say, You know what I'd say? He'd say, I'd tell those brothers. He said, I would say, I have a condition. That prohibits me from obeying your orders. He said, I have a condition that would keep me from obeying the orders that you just gave me. We have a condition this morning that keeps us from obeying the orders of man to keep us from testifying and sharing the good news of the gospel. You know what that condition is this morning? The condition is I can't help it. (laughs) That's my condition. I can't help it this morning. That's what they said. The apostles said we can't help but speak his name. You know why? They said we can't help it because we saw him turn water into wine. We can't help it because we saw him call Lazarus out of the tomb. We can't help it because we saw him heal the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf. We can't help it because we saw the demoniacs delivered. We saw him do miracle after miracle. And we have a condition. It's called we can't help it. And the church has a condition this morning. Why? Because we've seen God save people we never thought would get saved. We've seen him heal. We've seen him deliver. We've seen him set people free. And we have a condition this morning is we can't help it. We know too much. Huh? Over the course of the years, everybody in my family has come to the Lord. I was the first one to get born again. And most of my family has come to the Lord except for a couple. I've got a couple I'm praying for. But one of the big conversions in my family is 
and it just has blessed my life, was at 67 years old, my mother gave her life to Christ for many years, not knowing Jesus. And I would pray for her and pray for her and pray for her. And she got saved and I baptized her in her church. And I mean, like now, she's like the Facebook theologian. I'm like, mom, you don't have to post that many things about Jesus. I mean, she is, she is posting every, everything. But you know what she says? I can't help it. <laughs> How many of you this morning just can't help it? You can't help it, Darlene, because he was there and he healed you. And you can't help it. Fred, you can't help it because God healed you of cancer. You can't help it this morning. You can't help it, Betty, because of all that God has done in your life. Hallelujah. Can't help it, Ken. Jesus. Stand with me if you would this morning. Jesus, help us. I'd mentioned earlier about Jesus walking through and seeing this man. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're stuck. You want to be unstuck. Jesus may never have acknowledged him, but Jesus knew he was there. The scripture I lean on for that this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, God makes all things beautiful in his time. <laughs> Whew. How many know God makes all things beautiful in his time? Amen. Glory to God. Woo! <laughs> Woo! In his time, Kelsey, God makes all things beautiful. <laughs> in his time. Woo! <laughs> Y'all, if y'all felt the download I just got now by the Holy Ghost, you would just be. There's a Pentecostal church. Y'all be running everywhere. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. And I thought, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if Jesus had healed him while Jesus' public ministry was going on, it only would have pointed to him as Messiah. Which... Many people he healed pointed to him as being Messiah. But because he did it through the apostles, it pointed to him as resurrected and king. <laughs> mm, that's good. That's so good. Jesus walked by going, you have no idea what I've prepared for your life. I'm not healing you now, but you have no idea what I've prepared for your life. God, why you've waited so long to touch my life? I know I got to quit. I'm stopping. Maybe you need unstuck this morning. I want everyone in this room to lift your hands. I'm telling you as a pastor, I'm fighting 
And I am not going to let us be stuck in anything. We're not going to be one of those churches that the last person to die turn out the lights. <laughs> not happening here. Because we unstuck. Jesus. Father, I just pray this morning over this congregation. All of us have gone through transition and times, God, where we feel that we've been stuck in life and stuck in, in a momentum or in a place. All of us have felt like that piece of marble that Michelangelo took. God, you're sculpting us this morning. There's a treasure inside of us that you can pull out of. I speak that treasure to come forth now in Jesus' name. And those that are stuck in life, I command this morning you be unstuck in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Be moved. Move. May mobility come back. Not only is there liberty, but there's freedom this morning. Give us eyes to help our legs this morning. Thank you, Jesus. God, you make all things beautiful in your time, and today is somebody's time. Perform your miracle in their life. Become an unstuck. Unstuck. Unstuck in Jesus' name. Unstuck in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. I believe this this morning because God, I can't help it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now everybody unstuck, give the Lord a big clap offering. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.